Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Total Basis Podcast on this glorious Sunday af- um, afternoon. Uh, Sunday morning, I should say. Uh, I'm joined with me, as always, with Sean Flannery. Sean, how you doing this evening? Morning. I, I am absolutely awesome. I don't think I've been this energized or like invigorated to talk baseball in a long time. I'm not sure who all saw my post in baseball life yet, but it's it. I'm just like so full of love of, for the game and caffeine that I feel like I could run through a brick wall or a soft rubber padded brick wall. I'm like some <laughs> outfielders. <now>. Well, <laughs> we do have a special guest. Uh, he goes by the name of Melvin, Melvin Lopez. <laughs> Melvin, how you doing this morning? Sir, I'm doing great so far, guys. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. So always glad to talk some baseball with uh, fellow baseball fanatics, especially in the winter. I'm kind of, I'm starting to have withdrawals already. Oh yeah. You know, the winter league is one thing, but I'm starting to have MLB withdrawals already. So I'm glad, oh, to, yeah. glad to be here. Speaking of uh, winter league, uh, Melvin, why don't you tell the people who you are, what you do uh, in terms of the uh, of baseball stuff? That, yes, sir. Uh, uh, I run a, I run a page called baseball cosmos, uh, baseball from all year around, all around. And basically I, I run I run that page so uh, people like me can have baseball all year. So uh, you know I, I right now we are we are we're focused on the winter leagues. You know I grew up in the island of Puerto Rico and my only chance at seeing uh, major leaguers was was in the winter leagues. So um, I have a special place for the winter leagues and I like reporting it for people who are outside of their countries. You know Venezuela. Panama, Colombia, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Cuba, Mexico. Those, those are the winter leagues that are happening right now. And a lot of good prospects make their name in the winter league. So I got to see a lot of these players, you know, Alomar and Rodriguez and Gonzalez and all these guys in the winter league. So um, right now we're, we're, we're reporting on every winter league. But good thing is when, when the Caribbean World Series ends, uh, it's time for spring training. So we got baseball all year round. Thank you guys for, you know, for all the support out there. No, I love what you do, man. I, it, um, it's, uh, you, it's kind of unique. Uh, it, uh, brings a little bit of flavor, Latino flavor as I, you know, I can relate to it. Although some people say I'm like the whitest sounding guy ever. Uh, <laughs> I can't, but really, Oh, I want something I wanted to ask before I forget. And you're from Chicago, right? You're from the city right here. Well, um, I, I spent considerable time there. I'm from everywhere, but yeah, I, I do claim that you know I spent a lot of time there. So yeah, uh, humble park. Yeah, that's where you're currently, you're currently <laughs> residing there, right? Is that is what I'm trying to get at? Humble, humble park. Uh, Clemente, <laughs> hi, anybody? <laughs> anybody? No. Oh snap! Right next to the Roberto Clemente High School, right? Yes, sir. Oh man. Depending on Sean, for if you don't know, depending on which area Humble Park you're in, you're either in a nice area or a real dangerous area. And <laughs> I I used to get stuck uh, in somewhere in between where it looked very hip and uh, and and nice and cleaned up, and then they would still try to steal my tires. So as oh. I know, I know it's because my dad yelled at me like, "How dare you go to Chicago? Who told you to take my trucks to Chicago?" Like, sorry, I just... one side of the street's trying to wash your tires, the other's trying to steal them. Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one side, pretty much one side is Jason Kipnis, and the other side is, you know, Javier Baez. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. That's that's really what it boils down to. And as you could tell, uh, for those who are not see, uh, watching this because you're listening to the audio-only format, uh, Melvin is uh, from head to toe wearing Cubs gear, and I'm only wearing a Cubs hat. So by definition, he uh, 
he's a bigger Cubs fan than I am. So <laughs> that's the way you, you, you do you it. Gotta, you got to be a fan to wear this year's postseason hat. So oh, <laughs> I don't get to wear it but for two games, so I got to wear it as much as I can. So. <laughs> Oh, well, I sorry, dude. I didn't get the memo. I didn't get the memo from the Cubs. But you know why I didn't get the memo? Because I'm also a White Sox fan. And, and yeah. I, think, uh, I only get half of the uh, the uh, correspondence there. Your Cubs uh, email must have gone to your White Sox email account. Oh, well, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. And then the White Sox email just dumped it into the uh, into the trash automatically. Yeah. <laughs> into the trash with the Bulls, but we're not going to go there. Oh, there was nothing wrong with that pick, man. Everybody's hating too hard. Anyway, we, we, we could talk about that in the basketball uh, group as uh, we were, and uh, I was uh, on the Step Back podcast. Anyway, I'm getting distracted as always. But we're here to talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, the 2021 class edition. Um, you know what? Let's let's start with that right right away. Let's start with that right away as uh, I do have some pictures to share. And we'll start with the actual ballot, if I can get my stuff together here and... So this is what we're going to be looking at uh, uh, in terms of uh, the topic of today. This is the 2021 Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. There's some familiar guys name uh, that are still in there. Uh, there's some new faces in there that we're going to talk about soon. I, I do, you know, you know, I'm not going to do a Hall of Fame show without having several spreadsheets ready for you guys. So. Uh, but yeah, this is a this is a weird one. This is a really weird one. There's a, a few guys that should have been there already, but because of uh, what happened uh, in the late '90s and early 2000s, uh, they're getting uh, snubbed once again. Um, and then, let's face it, this new class, just from a face value, looks really weak. Uh, and with that said, uh, let's start with you, uh, Melvin, since you are our guest. Uh, Oh, thank you. Initial reaction, just initial reaction. We're, we'll we'll get into more depth when I share the spreadsheet, but I just want your initial reaction on this list. Well, initial reaction in this list is, to be quite honest with you, this is going to be a little polarizing to the rest of the fans. Initial reaction when I saw this list is you're going to have to explain to me really hard how you can put any guy in here and you don't put Bonds and, and Clemens. With the, the juice. It's, it's that simple. Initial reaction when I saw this, it was like, this is a year for Bonds and Clemens to get in through the fans. I mean, through the through the press. Okay. Yep. That, that's what I saw because with or without Jews, you're gonna have to explain to me how you put any of these other guys in there and you don't put Bonds or Clemens. So <laughs> Sean, what do you think? Well, as we'll see later in my player comparisons to look at and compare and contrast some of these guys, I didn't even bother putting Bonds and Clemens in there because I think that's just a whole other conversation. It's it's in one we'll get into depth get in depth with later, but like he said, you said weak. I look at it not as weak but underwhelming. I do yeah. think there are some guys here that probably are better than you realize not hall of famers but it's nice to go back and look at these guys who maybe we forgot about and maybe underappreciated during their time and now that they're on a hall of fame ballot they might only be here for a year or two but you know at least to appreciate what they did and what they brought to the game yeah, that's what it's all about though at the end right it's that's what these uh these talks that we have as melvin put uh, during the winter because there is no major league baseball. I mean, there is baseball, but it's just not the big boy baseball. Let's, let's face facts, yeah. but this is what it's yeah. about. This is what we talk about. This is what gets us through the winter. This is what gets us th uh, to the spring. And this is a time to reminisce and appreciate the history a little bit, whether you believe these guys are hall of famers or not. Let's, I mean, like you mentioned them, I forgot that Michael Kadir existed. 
for good reason, but I mean, he did exist and he was very instrumental to those Minnesota Twins teams that got eliminated time and time and time and time and time and time and time again in the first round of the playoffs uh, is usually against the Yankees. Uh, I'm like Vince there for a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well they, 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 they just always lose to the superior team because the Yankees are so much better than the Twins could ever be. Be Dong City tomorrow, you guys. There's a little preview for you. If Felipe Melicia was an ENTJ, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Michael Kadire and the first time ballot uh, people, I should probably make this bigger, but geez, it, it's a lot of info to take in. So uh, there you go. Let's do 150%. So this is basically the what I wanted to do was uh, highlight the first year ballot guys, uh, the Michael Kadires of the world, so to speak. And uh, Ramis Ramirez. Yeah. Aramis Ramirez, yeah, or as I used to, I used to call him, Aramis Ramirez. Aramis Ramirez. <laughs> yeah. All right, like Todd Brenneman, Aramis Ramirez. You know, always, for some reason, always call him that. <laughs> well, Tom Brenneman's not calling any more games anymore, so it doesn't well, that's matter. That's right, and rightfully yeah. so. <laughs> but uh, this is, I just wanted to point out, I just wanted to highlight, like, the the 20-year arc that these players were playing. They usually got their start uh, a little bit after 95 and they because you know this is the reason why their first time ballot on the on this ballot here is because they all retired in 2015 so that's a nice 20 year window because that's what people tell me all the time you got to compare these guys to the era that they played in the era that they played in and okay well let's do it as you can see the top 24 players are not a single player because i i highlighted i highlighted those guys in yellow not a single one of those first time ballot guys are in here it's still a lot of the juice guys from the from the previous generation are just this is and this is sorted by war sean by fangraphs okay. war so and i as you can see i also got some uh, accumulating stats some counting stats i got some of the advanced stats on this side as well so it, it's a it's especially that goes on forever basically but um, let's see let's make it <laughs> Make it as friendly as possible here, but the most important number to me is this one, the war number, because it, 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 it's supposed yeah. to take everything into a, a consideration: the offense, the defense, the base running. It's an accumulating stat, but it's supposed to be one that uh, puts in uh, league averages, league ballparks, and just context altogether uh, for an exercise like this. And A Rod is the best player, probably because he played a lot of shortstop. Shortstops are graded very highly, as you know, Sean. Uh, then there's Barry Bonds, who's on the ballot, um, but as you can see, he's not this what brownish i try to find a gold color in excel this is the best i can come up with the, the <laughs> little gold indicator that they're in the hall of fame some and there's uh, our guy andrew jones but we're not concentrating on him just yet because let's just we got to keep going down 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 we got to keep going keep going there's larry walker oh there's our guy tory hunter finally shows up <laughs> oh look at that our aramis ramiris right there aramis <laughs> so as you can see in terms of war uh, Tory Hunter is ranked number 46, and Aramis, Aramis, sorry, is ranked number 61. Do you want me to keep going to see where the other guys fall in? Hey, um, Magli sure, Rodonez was a hell of a player. Out of curiosity, I see him on the list, and that makes me feel good. I <laughs> would just solidify your case of, of you describing this ballot. On Shane Victorino, number 92. And, and as you can see, this is the reason I had to do it with 5,000 minimum plate appearances just for Shane Victorino, who only uh, got in 5,164 plate appearances. So just for him, I had to uh, lower the uh, plate appearances here. So there's Shane Victorino. I feel like I'm missing a bunch of other guys. I don't know where they are. Oh, you know what? There's Nick Swisher, who Nick Swisher. why why is he here? I have no idea. Oh, uh, that 13% walk rate. You know, put some respect on that walk rate, okay? 
Oh yeah, I mean to quote Moneyball, uh, he gets on base. <laughs> yeah, he's uh in uh he's uh what do you call it a Moneyball player? I mean he's yeah, Moneyball, Mr. Moneyball. Yeah, started with the Oakland Athletics, and then uh, even Billy Bean got tired of his nonsense. <laughs> And sort of the white side well, because apparently getting to first is not enough. You got to come around. <laughs> and I think that was it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I believe that's it. He was the lowest number, war of all the new guys. Number one hundred sixty-nine, Michael Kadire. Uh, let's look at his career really quick, just for in giggles. between who? In between Aubrey Hoff and Jeff Cohen. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mr. Alt-Right and Mr. Marlin over here. Uh, <laughs> I'll let you decide who is who. But yeah, 197 home runs, 794 RBI. I mean, this is such an un- underwhelming career here. Uh, 75 stolen bases. I'm, I'm really shocked that he got that high. Um, <clears throat> I mean, this is... Swana missed a lot. This is fourth... That little, for, for not that much slugging. <laughs> I was going to say, this is pretty much Michael Kadir's career was fourth outfielder on a fantasy team type of career. There it is, 17.1. So after playing like a decade and a half or so, all he could muster was 17.1 wins above replacement. And this is why the Twins kept losing all those years, right, you guys? No. But he would become the second former twin to go to Colorado and win a batting title at the very tail end of his career. He had the back-to-back years where he batted 331 and 332, which is pretty impressive to do in your two of your last three seasons. And Melvin, you think also apparently oh, made ahead. him attractive to the Mets, didn't it? Yep. Well, that and, and there's and a, a, a small connection here is that, you know, as a Mets fan, I, I kind of know this, but Michael Kadire, you know, is pride of Virginia Beach. And David Wright, even before he wrote and released his most recent book, he talked about how Michael Kadire was the guy when he got drafted in the first round. He, he went to the opposite high school, and he was taking a class over there when they announced that Kadire got picked. And he remembers how the entire school just went crazy when they released the news. And he said, I want to be Michael Kadire. Lo and behold, he would become a much better player than Michael Kadire was. <laughs> So I want to ask Melvin really quick before I forget. Uh, Michael Kadire, is he in? Does he make your ballot? Does he? Is there a compelling case to put Michael Kadire in the Hall of Fame? Unfortunately, no. If there is a Hall of Fame for being an awesome person and a great yes, guy, yes. But no. for a good clubhouse guy, for a for a good mentor, absolutely. But uh, no, negative writer. Just like that. No. Okay. Well, let's move on then. There's uh, Mount St. Carl Everett. Right there at number 167, Craig Council, who manages the uh, Brewers. Uh, Fred McGriff, who's not in the Hall of Fame. Oh, um, yeah. One of the many snubs. Well, you're, yeah. you're going to have to you're going to have to open up your window to the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. This is yeah. starting in 95. And, you know, he had a few good seasons after that. But then, you know, Fred McGriff's case is not in 95. It's in the 80s. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Brett Boone. You know, from those uh, two, two or three years that he was on the juice with the Mariners. I know he saved my fantasy baseball season a couple of times because of that. So, so thank you for that. Yeah, he had a pretty good bat flip, though. Like, you know, oh, yeah. one of the grandparents of the bat flip, you know. Well, you, you got on the juice and your bat flip game goes uh, up 100%. So absolutely. That's right. It becomes Wilson Contreras' bat flip. <laughs> <laughs> couple of um, former twin players here, Justin Morneau and A.J. Pruszynski on the list. They make it. Uh, in this 95-2015 window. 
So, so I'm just going through the names here. Just it just really fills me with nostalgia. I'm right back there, 2002, getting ready for my fantasy baseball season. And then there's Nick Swisher, right between uh-huh. two other guys, uh, Vernon Wells and Orlando Cabrera, uh, mainstays of fantasy uh, baseball of two of that era, 2002, 2003. And let's take a look at Nick Swisher really quick. 11 triples. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that made me laugh. Go ahead. 11 triples. That's a good season for some kids, you know? I mean, Jose Reyes had like 19 triples in a year or something like that. Wasn't that mainstay for him? So that was a contemporary right there. So in one year, I mean, that's a little underwhelming there. Yeah, 13 stolen bases in his entire career. Probably one stolen base a year for him. Um, Not a lot of power. I mean, enough Mm. to uh, be relevant for a little bit. But this is why you picked him up was because of this high on-base percentage of 351. Uh, Definitely higher than Vernon Wells and Orlando Cabrera. So... Um, that's a thing, but really, that's <laughs> we're good enough for the angels over there, apparently, during that, <laughs> that era. Ouch. And there's the, there's the big number right there 25.1. That's a little bit better than Michael Kadir, but oops, sorry, pressing one button. But uh, no, that's uh, that's not gonna cut the mustard right there, uh, for Nick Swisher at 25.1, unless you guys uh want me to sort it by some of the other accumulating stats to make a case for Nick Swisher. Uh, let's start with you, Melvin. What do you think? I, I don't think I don't think you can honestly make a rational case for Nick Swisher. I mean, yeah, the 350, I mean, that um, I mean, for people who live and die by the on-base percentage, even 351 is like the baseline, isn't it? Isn't it? That's overwhelming. That's higher than these guys. That's the very baseline. But I mean, three that alone is not going to make your case. No. I mean, he wasn't not, like a 400 on-base guy. Yeah, and I, like for 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 on base alone to make your case, you're gonna have to be up there with Ted Williams and the rest of the big boys on on base. And this is the reason why is that he got on base because just basically because he knew how to take walks, he knew how to take pitches, and and this was he's the poster child of all that, isn't he, Sean? He's the yeah. he's the the new wave of that era. Is uh, let's let's grind out these starting pitchers and get to their bullpen. And now we're all regretting that, aren't we? Because every bullpen pitcher nowadays can throw 100 miles an hour it seems like but this is it i mean as you can tell right here sean i'm gonna ask you or i'm gonna put give the floor to you for next swisher he's the highest in this vicinity at 13 percent. i mean you could tell that he was that uh that player that the, the benchmark for walk percentage and and i don't know i might be far-fetching and i'm just playing devil's advocate basically at this point but do the do the high does the high walk rate at this point in this era does that give him any validity whatsoever here Sean what do you think about being a trailblazer in walk percentage in this era of baseball no I think there is something to say about you know how he was kind of you know one of the trailblazers when it came to you know walks and on base percentage and and even though he didn't make his full-time debut till 2005 which was you know well after the money ball team but I think another thing that gets often forgotten with Nick Swisher was he had nine straight seasons of 20 plus home runs and which was something that combined with the on base percentage is what's made him attractive to the Yankees. Uh, he had, a, you know, most of his powers from the left-handed side. And I believe he was one of those players who once again, like Kadire, not good enough for the hall of fame, but a guy that, we probably forgot about, and then he popped up on everyone's Hall of Fame ballots, and we're like, wow, this guy was actually, you know, better than I thought he was. Yeah, and I, he, I think he's in that case. 
Yeah, he's the 25 wins above replacement uh, better than I thought he was, for sure. <laughs> he was I mean, 25 guy, wins better than I thought he was. <laughs> I mean, if the guy is going to comment on Fox on, in, in, in Fox uh, Sports and MLB, the guy does know what he's talking about. He's a pretty solid player. But it's, it's, the hall of the, it's the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of the Solid Players. So, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately for Nick, if there was a Hall of Solid Players, he'd definitely be in along with – you know, Aubrey Hoff and Michael Young, but doesn't belong next to, you know, Clemente and the rest of the guys. Like, I feel like Nick Swisher being a switch hitter could be one of those guys who maybe in the future we see as a hitting coach. He had such a good approach, you know, a guy that hits from both sides, kind of like uh, Chili Davis, you know, was a switch hitter and can really help both the left-handed and right-handed hitters because he did it himself. So maybe that, who knows, maybe he becomes a Hall of Fame coach but he's not going to go in as a hall of fame player. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. the guy knows what he's talking about, you know, and uh, he, he had a really good approach on the plate, but yeah. that, like you said, you know, he might be a hall of fame coach, like, like Don Zimmer, for example, somebody like that, but definitely not a hall of fame player. Jeez. Uh, not, not only is Orlando Cabrera a bad word for angels, but Austin, who uh, is a regular listener is saying that Vernon Wells is also a bad word among angel fans. So, uh, I'm sorry to, uh, to trigger you guys. I didn't mean to. This is this is kind of how it worked that's out. Right. Uh, I mean, Henry's. That's what uh, happens when you lose a lot of money on investments? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, they're about to lose them more if if uh, if 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 the rumors are true about the Angels wanting to spend money this offseason. Uh, Henry from Dong City is uh, chiming in, saying that uh, that uh, Nick Swisher's wife was better than uh, Nick <laughs> Swisher's career. So I am. That sounds home. like something to. <laughs> really dive into on donk city oh yeah that, that, they'll, they'll take care of that they'll probably post pictures and highlights of nick swisher's wife all right shane victorino i'm on the wrong podcast man. guys i want to go join that one <laughs> <laughs> this podcast sucks uh shane victorino in between prince fielder and brandon phillips uh 29.3 war uh really really good base runner uh won a ring with the red Sox. i forgot which year was it 2013 i believe uh he won one with the phillies no or was only the Red 13, Yeah. And uh, 231 stolen bases, which uh, kind of uh, underwhelming. But yeah, this is that era of baseball, isn't it, where uh, Speed we're not doing, started to die. Yeah, we're not doing that stuff anymore. So uh, really <laughs> underwhelming career in terms of the uh, the counting stats as well. So really nothing – you can't make a case for the guy except for base running. Unless yeah. you guys find something that I'm not seeing here, what do you guys think? Let's start with you, Melvin, again. Shane Victorino for the Hall of Fame, yes or no? Oh, uh, no, absolutely not, because as a champion, this is a guy that you want on your team if you want to win a championship, you know. He's, yeah. he's a piece, but he's not what's going to put you over the hump, you know, uh, on a championship. You know, he won, he knew how to win. He had some really overwhelming moments. Uh, apparently, he had an affinity for the, for the, for the Grand Slam in, 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 in uh in postseason play, because I do remember him hitting some big grand slams in postseason play. So, yep. And even though that's not quantifiable, I'm a, guy, I'm a guy that believes that if your knees are not trembling in the clutch, you have a, a, a more upper, uh, uh, an upper hand on the, uh, on the guy that does. The, their knees do tremble, even though you can't quantify that. So um, the guy was clutch. I knew how to win, but, you know, definitely nothing pops out that says, Hall of Fame. I mean, 231 stolen bays might seem like a lot these days, and it is. But I mean, a guy like Luis Castillo had 300 and some. So, actually, uh, it's not a lot. Uh, if you notice, I have some numbers highlighted in this red hue color. 
And I mean, let's let's take a look at it. But yeah, if, if it were a lot, his he would have had a, a reddish hue color on the, the stolen bases. And I'm sorry for those who are not paying attention or viewing this on the Facebook or YouTube. I have a spreadsheet that I'm showing off here. But yeah, this is this is who the highest rated stolen base guys were during this era of baseball. And Juan Pierre has 600 stolen bases. 600 stolen bases. I mean, yeah, that, that's that's three times as much. And you don't, yeah. you know, obviously Ichiro is another story for yeah. about two years from now. But you know, in the end, you know, Shane Victorino again be a really good first base coach, I think, but <laughs> definitely not a not a not a Hall of Fame player. And, and you guys were talking about, uh, you know, how uh, Swisher is a, a, you know, is going to be a future coach or, or I don't know. I, I always think about Nick Swisher as being like a, a complete clown. And then there's Shane Victorino. I'm sorry, a complete clown that nobody likes, by the way. And then there's Shane Victorino, who also is a more bigger playoff performer. And from what I heard of growing up, everybody likes Shane Victorino. No issues with him. He's a stand-up clubhouse guy. And uh, I don't know. I just feel like... Uh, I want to give praise to Shane Victorino for being a clubhouse guy. Hall of Fame clubhouse guy. So there's the <laughs> Hall of Fame clubhouse guy. <laughs> wait, wait, the, the, uh, you, you forgot to call on me, teacher. I'm not the teacher. Melvin is. Okay. <laughs> well, Shane, Shane Victorino is just Brett Gardner with a cooler nickname. <laughs> they have identical 104 weighted runs created plus. Uh, now that I'm looking at it, Gardner has a little over a thousand more ABs and is ahead of him by eight wins above replacement. But I mean, like I said, near identical OBPs, identical weighted runs creative plus. I think they're really just the same player. And we're going to have this conversation five years after Brett Gardner retires, whether that's this year, next year, or in a couple of years. And I feel like Brett Gardner is going to be very much in that same group of, he's not a hall of famer, but he had a little bit of pop, had a lot of stolen bases, and played good defense and was a good base runner. He was one of those good all-around players, but not a great one. He's basically Randy Wynn, yeah. is what I'm finding out right now. He's Randy Wynn. Same, a similar WRC+, plus, similar stolen base count number. Congratulations for being Randy Wynn. You, I mean, we talked about it. He's a winner. Shane Victorino is. Yeah. Win. Randy he, was, he was relevant. He was, <laughs> you you he were was really a, going for that one, Felipe. He, he, he was a relevant player in World Series teams. That's it. He was a relevant yep. player in World Series team. I can say the same for Marwin Gonzalez. That doesn't mean he's a Hall of, Hall of Famer. So. <laughs> Let's move on then. Uh, I didn't realize we're spending so much uh, time on these uh, mediocre first-time ballot guys. But uh, here's another guy, Aramis Ramirez. Now it gets interesting. Aramis. Uh, you can see he uh, – let's, let's start from the beginning here. Oh, yeah. 2,303 hits, uh, 495 doubles. Again, if you're if they have a red hueish color, that means they're among the le uh, the league leaders of this era based on the 5,000 plate appearances that I have, the the, the minimum 5,000 plate appearances. That, that means that they're at the at the top 15 of the list here, right here or so, uh, depending on, the, on which stat I was doing. So it's it's not a uniform color, but it is an indicator that, hey, these this is uh, – these guys were among the lead leaders on this chart right here on this Excel sheet that I'm sharing. So 495 doubles, uh, the 100, the 1,417 RBI. Uh, as you can see, the rate stats, <clears throat> they are nowhere. To, they're not as high, but the accumulating stats. Is, I mean, this is this WRC without the plus there. The WRC, uh, that's an accumulating stat again, and he's at 1,300 there. 
And uh, but only a 38.4 war. Uh, that's really going to hurt him. The base running uh, was a, a main issue with him. He's a negative 67.4. Defense was kind of underwhelming too at negative 8.2. Always had a strong arm, but I guess they're knocking him for the lack of range probably. Um, but yeah, he's sandwiched in between Alfonso Soriano and Placido Polanco. Uh, RM is Ramirez for the Hall of Fame, Sean. What do you think? I, I think it's a no. And a barometer that I'm going to use for a lot of these guys, I went through on fan graphs and, you know, selected all of the hitters that are in the Hall of Fame. And the average fan graphs were for a Hall of Fame player was 66.2 or 0.3. And the median was 62.5. You'd be so proud of me, Philippe. I used Excel and everything. It doesn't have your fancy colors, but, you know, we can't all be you. Uh, I think the thing that sticks out to me most about Aramis Ramirez is that he has more home runs in RBIs than Todd Helton, another guy who's still on this ballot. And if you would have asked me just kind of off the top of my head, I would say Helton, you know, who was never like a prolific power hitter, but I mean, being in Colorado, it kind of turns you into one, is I would have expected Todd Helton to be way ahead in both home runs and RBIs. And Aramis Ramirez actually has him beat there. Um, Once again, one of those hitters that you probably didn't realize was as good as they were. And now that he's going to be on the ballot, he's, I would bet he's going to fall off after just the one, one ballot. Uh, But a guy to go back and realize, Hey, he hit 386 home runs. That's not a very common occurrence. So tip my cap to him and have a good one. Yeah. uh, But again, we're, this is is why we're doing it this way, right? We're we're just going to compare the players of this era to the peers of their era, right? Because that's, you know, that's what you got to do. You can't compare him to the uh, the Babe Ruth era, right? Because he, yeah. he would get completely shrunk, even for a modern player of his stature. He would get just shrunk. He would be lost in the shuffle. There's a lot of good players from that era. Same thing if you were compared to a player from the 60s. It's an unfair comparison. So we're going to compare him to these guys. And you can see the, the accumulated stats are right there. Melvin, do any of these accumulating stats, because the war number is really low, but do any of these accumulating offensive stats uh, put put him in your Hall of Fame? What do you think? Only if he were top three defensive third baseman of all time, maybe. Like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, to me, to me, those those offensive numbers by themselves, no, let, let, let's just get it straight. Now, I, I listened to the Chicago media for like eight, nine years, just crucify this guy on his defense. And they're underwhelming. The, 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 the defensive numbers are underwhelming. But if you look at the, at the defensive war in his, in his prime, he was sometimes he, he had positive defensive war. So the defense wasn't as bad as they were making it out to be. However, by itself, these offensive numbers, are, 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 I don't think they're going to be enough for Ramirez, right, uh, to, to get in. Now, for example, let, let's say he had Mike Schmidt type of defense or Brooks Robinson type of defense. With that type of defense plus these numbers that, again, give you they, – they make you a serious offensive threat. This guy wasn't a – this guy is not in the same league as Victorino and – Oh, I think he froze. Oh, no. Oh no! We, we will we will we will carry on until he rejoins us. Oh man! Oh no! Oh, there he, he's back. We got him. You kind of broke up there, Melvin. We we lost uh, most of your conversation. What were you saying about Aramis Ramirez? Okay, this guy was a serious offensive threat. That's what I was saying. Yes, a serious offensive threat. The guy was, uh, but but these offensive numbers by themselves are not going to put him in. If the guy had, for example, Brooks Robinson's type of defense, yeah. 
these numbers, maybe you can make a better case. But these num these offensive numbers alone are just not going to do it for him. But does he make your Hall of Fame? I, I, I do. I do disagree with uh, with Sean. I think he's going to retain the five percent just because of that. I think I think he he might retain five percent. It wouldn't surprise me, but he does not make my Hall of Fame now. Yeah, Henry agrees with you there, Melvin. That he made, but does he make your Hall of Fame, Melvin? Is what I want to know. Uh, no, he does not. Okay, not. there you go. Let's move on then. <laughs> uh, there's uh, Tory Hunter, another first-time ballot right between. Uh, don't get mad. This is only '95 through 2015, so don't get mad at me. This is how it goes. Just because it's Ken Griffey Jr. doesn't mean he's always going to be among the high-ranking leaders and wins about replacement but Tory Hunter right there between Kenny Lofton and Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, right there that's a hell of a trio of center fielders right there isn't it a highlight reel of center fielders in Kenny Lofton Tory Hunter Ken Griffey Jr. as you can see Tory Hunter also accumulated some stats as well so his bat wasn't uh, just uh, uh, a black hole it, it, it contributed for a very long time he was a, a pat setter but again the rate numbers are kind of lacking uh, just like Aramis Ramirez, he got that high WRC uh, accumulated stat because he played for such a long time. The base running, however, was pretty surprising. He's negative 8.5. Uh, defense is negative 7.9. I forgot why. But they, uh, I don't know. Maybe he played center field for too long. I don't know. But 43 war is a nice, healthy wins above replacement number for a guy like Torrey Hunter. But is it enough, Melvin, to put him in the Hall of Fame? Well, let, let me take a page out of your Let's compare him to a contemporary Andrew Jones and see who's got the better case now. To me, to me, Tory Hunter, ah, the same, I would put him in the same league, you know, hollow very good, but not a Hall of Famer in my, in my book. In my book, he's, he, you can make a case for him and he sure will retain the 5%, but I don't think he's not a Hall of Famer in my book because when you compare him to his contemporaries, he's all, he was, he was always robbing to his contemporary. You're, he wasn't the best in his, in his era. So to me, it's not for, for Torrey Hunter. Uh, Sean, what do you think? Torrey Hunter in the Hall of Fame, yes or no? He made a good point, you know, comparing him to Andrew Jones. And, you know, my thing is like, I always like to say, this guy is the great value brand of this guy. And I think that's what it is, Torrey Hunter to Andrew Jones. It's a lot of the same power-speed combo with, you know, a slightly average, below average on base, but with, you know, really good pop. You know, they both had slugging percentages over 460. Um, I think Jones' ceiling in that peak was just higher. Hunter might have been more level, more of like a plateau. Meanwhile, Andrew Jones kind of skyrocketed and then plummeted back down. And I think when it comes to the hall of fame, it's always going to be that peak, you know, three to five years that really stick in writers' minds. And I don't feel like Hunter had that three to five year peak, like someone like Andrew Jones did. And if you look at the, the war difference, you know, Andrew Jones sits at 67 while Tori Hunter is at 43. So there's a pretty large discrepancy there, even though Tori Hunter uh, played more games than Andrew Jones and had far more plate appearances. Yeah, and I think uh, I think what people are, are are hung up on with Torrey Hunter is that he was always on a highlight show, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he was always the uh, – I mean, I guess he won all those gold gloves, right? I feel like he won a shit ton of gold gloves. But as you saw from the war yeah, number so, – so did Bernie Williams, though. I mean, so, at that era, gold gloves were, you know, were what they were. They were gold gloves. If you had a doubt, I'd just give it to the guy with the highlight reel and the offense and the, and yeah. the offense numbers. Exactly. So, in that era, gold gloves are like all-star appearances. You know, there were sometimes popularity contests, I believe. So, 
And uh, Austin brings a really good point. Do you think that we're seeing such an underwhelming class of first timers because, uh, or why was he asking why do why are we seeing such an underwhelming class uh, of numbers and 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 first time balloters? And he brings up maybe because the the pitching got better, and it did uh, around 2010. 2011, you saw with the San Francisco Giants the the importance of pitching and and yielding high strikeouts and yielding guys with high velocities. That I mean, yeah, that is part of it. But let's face it, guys. In June of 2004, they started testing for PEDs, and this is a result. Uh, so after 10 years, ha so half of this chart is full of guys with, with the last remnants of the juice era guys, and then the second half, you're seeing the results. The Nick Swishers, the Tory Hunters, and the RMS Ramirez's of the world, right? This is, I think, this is what it is: is that in June of 2004 they started testing, and suddenly these numbers. Suddenly, Tory Hunter can't get to 500 uh, doubles, or he can't get to 400 home runs. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Uh, is you guys have a theory that you like to share about that, Melvin? Well, uh, let's also not forget some of these some of these stadiums were starting to be, be built a certain way as well. You know, uh, so not, we're not we're not playing in these little juice boxes anymore. We're, some some of these stadiums are getting built kind of like to 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 favor the home team and all that stuff too. But then again, I mean. I mean, like I was like I was, I was saying when I first saw you guys earlier when we were off the air, you know, at this point, some of these steroid arguments are so obvious that, you know, they have to bear in your mind. You know, you have to wonder if, you know, at least by association, the little is there. So um, that, that that's a valid point. You never know what, you know, what these guys would or maybe they were taking something legal that was a little too close to the chest and they were like, I better not risk it just so, you know. So you, you, there's got to be something there. There's a lurking variable in there for sure. Interesting. Sean, you got any uh, last take before I move up the chart here? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of, like you said, teams really started kind of figuring out the nuances. I, I don't want to say nuances because there's always been nuance to pitching, but kind of getting into this idea of, you know, while the hitters kept trying to hit more home runs and without steroids, I think they tinkered more with their swings to hit the home runs rather than just muscle that left uh, the pitching, you know, moves, counter moves started changing how they pitched. And it really made it hard for guys who started their careers in the steroid era. They aged, I think, poorer due to that change in style of pitching as they got towards the end of their careers. Yeah. And let's not forget guys, the shift. Yeah. You know, teams were starting to shift a little more. I mean, yeah. that killed Ryan Howard's career. Yep. So maybe maybe that had a lot to do with it, you know. The teams are starting to shift a little more, and these offensive numbers are going to get figured out a little yep. more. But yeah, this is the money. The second half of this chart uh, from 2005 to 2015, you could make a case that that is the money ball era. That's when money ball started exploding because everybody saw what the Oakland Athletics were doing, and they. I mean, you saw it in 2004 with the Red Sox. They 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 were money ball on steroids, if I could use that euphemism. Uh, basically, grind out these pitchers and get to the bullpen and then teams started realizing well shoot if that's what they're doing uh and you know ball and play you know let's let's limit the balls in play let's yield the high strikeouts how do you get more strikeouts you get guys who could throw 98 miles an hour the, 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 forget about the command screw the command let's just get <laughs> guys who throw harder than 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 it's allowable here and take advantage and now you're seeing the the modern game this is the modern game now it's who who can grind out at bats and who can get and which pitchers can get the strikeouts 
uh, it at was, a high percentage. So. It wasn't Moneyball on steroids. It was Moneyball and then steroids. Literally in the same lineup, you had Kevin Euclid and then Manny Ramirez. It was Moneyball and then steroids. The combination um, of the two. You're, you're suggesting Euclid was not juicing? I mean, his head's Money pretty The Greek god of walks? I mean, like, what is he juicing? His eyeballs? No, man. Why is his head so big? That's what I want to know. <laughs> He's always had a big head. <laughs> I don't care about ego here, Sean. I just want to know why physically speaking, he has a big head. But anyway, that's the list. 1995-2015. Uh, Thank you for taking uh, a trip down memory lane. We'll see you guys later. Oh, no, I got more charts. I got all the charts today. We're not going anywhere. Now let's go to the pictures really quick. Uh, as you can see, uh, again, sorted by war, right there. Uh, so, yeah, these are all the guys uh, highlighted here in the reddish shoe color. Uh, all about 50 war in terms of the Fangraphs war. And it's uh, once again, it goes from 95 to 2015, minimum 2,000 innings pitch. Uh, as you can see, Mark Burley, Tim Hudson at the very top. So, I guess, cats out of the bag. We'll start there. But look at these Hall of Famers up here, though. I mean golly that's that's a murderous role of uh that's a hell of a rotation right there that is hall of fame that's what a hall of fame rotation looks like but we gotta go and concentrate on these other low-level guys so mark burley in between felix hernandez and justin verlander in this era of baseball uh we all know his story uh very durable although you know what i don't think i did it by innings pitch i don't think i did league leaders among innings pitch here but look at that mark burley in this era of baseball is second in innings pitch you guys that is absolutely absurd. So let's put the reddish shoe color right there and save it for later. So let's go back to war. So again, Burley, very durable. He wasn't throwing very hard, but he knew how to pitch. I mean, that that's one of the last of the of the uh, uh, pitch to contact pitchers. I mean, look, the really low strikeout rate, uh, but the walk, impeccable control and command. Uh, but again, not much in the accumulating era in terms of the league leaders. And uh, even the rate stats, the advanced stats uh, here, the FIP and the XFIP uh, are not very friendly to him. Uh, and But he did enough to accumulate those numbers. Oh, and uh, let me see. I forgot that I also have it by wins and losses for those guys who, for the people who like wins and losses, Mark Burley, even though that's not a very high number, he was among the league leaders in this era of baseball. Uh, quickly, Sean, what do you think about Mark Burley's chances? I Mark Burley is not a major league baseball hall of fame, but he should be and will be, I would assume a white Sox hall of fame player. And I think he deserves it. I, there's something to say about Like you said, he was second only to Pettit in innings. Um, the fact he had almost 500 starts is just like mind boggling to me. That's interesting. Um, Melvin, what do you think? I agree with uh, Sean. I think, you know, Ryan's door, we've got to put him in the, in the, in the White Sox hall of fame for sure. Um, I just, you know, he, he, that durability lasts for some uh, counts a lot, but uh, I don't think he, he was, he's a major league baseball hall of famer. No. I, I, I don't know, man, for the era of baseball that this was, you know, because on the opposite side, we talked about the guys with the the high strikeout rates. Uh, Mark Burley was the opposite end of that, and he's and he still survived an era of baseball that was juicing. I mean, he survived like these big bopping hitters, like the Manny Ramirez's of the world, the David Ortiz's of the world, all those guys, and he held his own despite the lack of velocity, despite the lack of strikeouts. I think that's something to be said about. And Tim Hunt is going to be the same way as uh, they 
kind of similar career arc. Let's move on to Tim Hudson really quick. You know, the, the I mean, he was very durable, just just like Burley was among among the league leaders of his era of this 20 years era of baseball. Again, low strikeouts, uh, underwhelming uh, accumulating statistics. But I mean, low ERA for a guy who isn't supposed to be a flamethrower. I mean, he held his own and he misses them cutoff mark at the 50 war rate. Uh, but, you know, he's just there at 48.9. But this era of baseball, you, you can't really talk about this era of baseball without talking about Mark Burley and Tim Hudson. I, I don't think you can't. Uh, so, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this guy was uh, this guy was a staple up there. He, he's, out, he's a White Sox Hall of Famer, I believe. But here's what gets my attention. This is why I gave a cold hard no to Burley, is that he only had a guy. He didn't walk many people either. He his 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 baseball his his walks through nine was like barely over two. He didn't walk many people yet. He had only three seasons of a whip of under one point two, and that means you got hit a little bit. You know, you didn't get you didn't get you know you didn't get, but people could see what you got, and 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 to me. That that just says a lot. I I I have a I have a different way of, of evaluating starting pitchers. I, I go by the whip. I go by the FIP. You know the field independent pitching and and Burley's is is way over four. So, I mean, and then you see over there, you see Verlander at three point four. Even King Felix a clear one run under on FIP. So, I mean, knowing how to pitch. I mean, Greg Maddox knew how to pitch and he was dominant. So. Yeah. You know, when you when you got a guy that doesn't have as much velocity, that's the bar, the barometer is Maddox. I'm sorry, if you want to be a famer, you got to be in the same conversation as him. So, well, I mean, that's that's a that's a whole other level of pitching style right there. I mean, Burley was um, Maddox light, and and um, and you talk about light, 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 light. <laughs> uh, gluten free. Uh, <laughs> What's the other one that the wheat free? None of that crap. Mark he's Burley the, is he's the soy Greg Maddox. He's soy Greg Maddox. He's the <laughs> vegan version of Greg Maddox. Uh, we get it. I mean, but, I mean, these are the, still pitch to contact pitchers. I know that uh, Maddox also pitched in that era of baseball, but still. Uh, Tim Hudson, you mentioned the FIP XFIP. Uh, that's under four. Does he get any consideration to the Melvin Hall of Fame? Uh, Hudson, I just didn't. I don't. I don't. You can make. I, I would say. I mean, I, I know I'm going to get thrown here, but Hudson has had some really good years in the beginning of his career. And then he turned into a durable guy, so he wasn't he wasn't the same pitcher as he as as he was. Like you can tell Burley, for example, Burley was the first like pretty much the same pitcher year three as he was year twelve. And you can say the same for Tim Hudson. So he did have to. I mean, ERA is there. I mean, to me, the the cutoff of ERA is three point five when it comes to a starter for the Hall of Fame. That's that's the Melvin cutoff is three point five. Yeah. I mean, and 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 he's there, so you can certainly make a case. I just don't think, I mean, the 200 wins are there. I just don't think when you evaluate, like he did walk a lot of people, I do believe. I, I, I believe that, but it's not there. It's just not there. All righty. Uh, I mean, 2.74, uh, it does kind of uh, miss the mark, but he's out on the outside looking in, in terms of the walks per nine. Uh, Sean, any last words on Tim Hudson before we move on to the next two guys here? No, I, I feel like Hudson and Burley are kind of two sides of the same coin. They were very similar pitchers. They're not Hall of Fame pitchers, but they were staples of this era. I mean, they they lasted a long time. I, 
Tim Hudson, you know, in his last two seasons at 39 and 40 or 40 and 41 through over a combined like 330 innings, which I think was just quintessential Tim Hudson that even at the very end, he was still eating innings for the San Francisco Giants. Like that was, oh, yeah. and, and talk about a ballpark to go to if you're a pitch to contact guy and at the end of your career, that's a, that's a hell of a ballpark to go to. And he was in Atlanta too for a long time as yeah. well. I and mean, he, he basically was a big reason why they were able to extend their playoff run uh he was a very integral part john Scherholz talks about him in great length and with very high praise in his book uh which is a really good book uh, for those who want to know about the uh the inner uh stories of what general managers go through especially during this era of baseball uh i did it by wins i just uh, resorted by wins around this era uh i know that not a lot of 300 win guys are in here but this is the era of baseball that we are living in uh where 200 wins seems to be the the minimum at this point. And I just want to point out Tim Hudson and Mark Burley have those 200 wins uh, uh, in this era, you know, so I'm just saying, but uh, anyway, wins are a team aspect of things. So we move on to the next thing here, AJ Burnett. And as you can see, he's right there with uh, who's that Tom Glavin and uh, Cole Hamels and Dan Heron. So let's, let's do the two for uh, AJ Burnett, Dan Heron. Uh, Melvin, who would you vote for? I guess that's a wrong uh, question. But, but any thoughts about AJ Burnett or Dan Heron making it into the Hall of Fame? I, I these these are two guys that certainly do have the tools. I would say, like earlier in their career, you saw like if you see their their workouts, they're in the beginning of their career. I mean, they they have the tools. It's just for some reason, a guy like, for example, AJ Burnett. You know, he has the high strikeout rate, and he's got you know, and, and he didn't get hit that like. Something that always struck me as, as, as about AJ Burnett is that for a guy that threw hard, he didn't give out a lot of a lot of home runs. Normally, guys that throw hard give out home runs. Yeah. For a guy that threw hard, I mean, now you know he didn't give out a lot, but it's just the the the, the body of work is not there. He got hurt a lot. He got hit a lot sometimes. You know, the three you know, ERA is you know above the three fifty. That's my cutoff. I, I just don't think it's there. The body of work is there. Yeah, and he's definitely lacking in war as well. But I mean, the reason these numbers right here, <clears throat> the FIP and the XFIP right here, are so are, are considerably low, is because he did strike out a lot of guys and he did limit his home runs. Uh, yeah. But uh, again, you know, he was a very frustrating player to have because he did have all the tools. And he, I mean, look at these strikeouts, twenty five hundred strikeouts for his career. But uh, he, at the same token, um, he was very frustrating because I felt like his potential was never fully met. Uh, what do you think, Sean? Uh, AJ Burnett here. Yeah, for the air, that 8.28K per nine is, you know, very good when compared to a lot of other pitchers who probably had better stuff, quote-unquote. Like the last guy we're going to talk about, Barry Zito. It's like A.J. Burnett, I feel like, I feel like a broken record. He's one of those guys that in his career, you're like, okay, he's not the ace of a team. He's like the two, the three. He strikes out a lot of guys, but his ERA is still high. Uh, the ground ball rate was good, which helped him limit home runs. Like, why Why isn't the ERA more in line with, you know, kind of like his peripherals? And it's something that just never came around. But like you said, 2,500 strikeouts uh, in that era was very, very good. And I think A.J. Burnett was kind of the – like Nick Swisher was the trailblazer for walks and working counts and getting on base. AJ Burnett was kind of that trailblazer of I'm going to go out there and purposely try and miss bats, mm, which is, which is yeah. the new craze. I mean, 
Like pitchers aren't trying to just get you out. They're trying to strike you out. <laughs> they don't want the ball in play. They want you to whiff and then go sit down. And A.J. Burnett was kind of that same pitcher. Absolutely. Um, yeah. On the opposite side of the spectrum, we have a guy, Dan Heron, who was a, a really good control artist here. 1.86 walk per nine. That's among the league leaders of this era. Uh, held his own on the strikeout department in 2000. I remember him being a very uh, – viable fantasy baseball choice at this time of era very low walks i mean he pitched how many innings 2400 uh innings only 500 walks that's good enough to be among the league leaders on this chart uh the home run ball was a little bit of a problem here and not much uh going on on the uh, accumulating stats but the era fip xfip all solid but it, it only an underwhelming 40 war um is that in i mean is that enough to uh, is does he have a, enough case to kind of ignore the low war and the other low accumulating stats to put him in the Hall of Fame? His control numbers, I guess. Is that enough, Melvin, to put him in your Hall of Fame? Uh, no, not with. Uh, I mean, the strikeouts. I mean, it, the guy was a control artist, but no, there, there's not enough body of work there again. And the the ERA is a little too high at 3.75. If this guy had an ERA of 3.20, 3.14 around the range, maybe, but. And is there a I mean, that's 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 just not going to cut it for that for for this company right here. And just out of curiosity, no, there's not in this era. No, if you anywhere like you mentioned, anything anything be below three point five zero would have put you at among the league leaders here. I mean, there's it's a who's who: Pedro, Randy, John, Greg. I'm just naming their first name because you you guys should know who they are at this point. <laughs> of course, right? yeah. If, if, yeah. You're not, you're, you're a, if you're not you're a casual baseball fan, get the hell out of my podcast, right? <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm so, sorry, future listeners. Yeah, so Sean, <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer, he does not speak for everyone. <laughs> yes, I do. This is the Philippine the Philippi- Philippi- will do as I say. Uh, Sean, uh, yes or no, thumbs up or thumbs down on Dan Heron? If this was a Hall of Fame for best Twitter personality of a former player, <laughs> uh, Dan Heron is a 100% unanimous Hall of Fame tweeter. He is not a Hall of Fame pitcher. Granted, looking back at it, looking at I, I don't think I'd ever looked at Dan Heron's fan, fan page just because that wasn't really what I did then. You know, I, I played MLB 2K with Dan Heron. I didn't research his FIP and his WHIP with on fan graphs. But he had two six he had two six war seasons five one at five point nine and one at six point one. I he actually had a seven war peak or seven season war peak uh, right next to Andy Pettit. So. I think he's a guy, like you said, not a Hall of Fame pitcher. I didn't realize his walks were so in control. Um, not a Hall of Fame pitcher, but like I said, he's a Hall of Fame tweeter. If you do not follow Dan Heron on Twitter, you need to go follow him. It is some of the funniest stuff, especially during the season. Oh, it's it's great. Yeah, he throws 88. Yeah. <laughs> so, Barry's Dito, Al Leiter, Esteban Loaiza. Ooh, Esteban Loaiza in this list. Oh, boy. Say hello to my little Loaiza. <laughs> <laughs> Golly, uh, Esteban Loaiza, the big joke. I don't know if you remember this, Melvin, but the big joke with Esteban Loaiza, I think, was with, with Mike North. I, I, I think you should know who Mike North is, but yes. he would always make fun of Esteban Loaiza because the White Sox were trying to get him, uh, give him, give him every chance and opportunity to get to twenty wins, and that one good year that he had with the all White three. Sox. Yeah, all three. All three, right? And and yeah. Mike North was always talking about, oh well, yeah, he needs to get the Mexican pitching record. He needs to get the pitching Mexican pitching record. <laughs> I, I think Mike North is a quasi racist. But uh, I, 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 it's just kind of funny how he would uh, 
get triggered by, oh, well, the White Sox needs to put him out there because of the Mexican pitching record. Well, it's so, so stupid. And, and, and Anyway, so he, he does have the 20 wins in the season. He has a Mexican pitching record, I guess. I don't know. I don't care anymore. But Barry Zito, as you can see, nothing is highlighted in red here. Nothing at all. Do we really need to spend time on Barry Zito? Melvin? I, I think, you know, one, he had a couple of good, uh, good seasons, but body of work isn't there. Something like fell off really quick too. Like he had yeah. really good, you know, one, two, three, four seasons and then boom, gone. So don't know where it went. So definitely nothing there worth even like noting. Uh, and Sean, uh, really quick, do we really need to talk about Barry Zito here or no? The only thing I like to talk about when it comes to Barry Zito was when he became a free agent after 2006 was, which was really 2005, 2006 was my first years as a Mets fan, like really being invested in the team. And I remember him becoming a free agent and, you know, we're just coming off the disappointing loss to the Cardinals and Barry Zito is like the marquee free agent. And I just remember he had like the, the beautiful curveball. And it's like, I could sit there and just watch it on loop, on loop, on loop. And I wanted the Mets to sign Barry Zito so bad. I was on vacation in New Jersey when it was reported. He signed with the Giants. And I was, what, like 11 years old at the time. I don't don't think I cried, but I was like, I'm not watching baseball this year. The Mets didn't get Barry Zito. And which is hilarious to me was how I mentioned Tim Hudson went back to or ended his career in San Francisco. uh, Barry Zito didn't. He actually had two games with Oakland in 2015. But he uh, went to San Francisco and had a ERA, almost a run higher than he did in Oakland. Both of them were hitters' (laughs) ballparks. And it really wasn't an injury thing because he made 30 consecutive starts in every season but one for the Giants. So it's like Melvin said, he just kind of fell apart. And it wasn't one of those things that I kind of expected. And it wasn't really an age thing because he, his first year there, he was 29 and he pitched till he was 35 and really none of them were good seasons. Yeah. I want to say that one of the final, that Tim Hudson and Barry Zito did square off uh, in a A's and Giants game uh, near the end. Uh, If someone can please correct me if that's the case, or if I, if I dreamt that, I don't know. I could have sworn that Zito and Hudson did face off, uh, in a pitcher's duel that lasted two innings, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I wanted to point out to your attention that Tim Wakefield does have 3,000 innings pitched. Yes, uh, I, I can confirm for you that September 26, 2015, they did face off against each other, and w- which was both of their last seasons. Zito as an A and Hudson as a Giant. Hey, sometimes a little hamster works in mysterious ways, <laughs> and that is, our, that is our 20-year era. But what about the other guys, you might ask? Well, let's go 40 years into baseball history, 1980 to 2020, 40 years of baseball goodness. And again, we go start with the hitters. Uh, and I, I messed up here. I, I, I was late last night working on this, and I completely screwed this the title up. So, no, these are the hitters. As you can see, Barry Bonds is in there, uh, minimum. 7,000 plate appearances. I'm fixing that right now as I'm talking. Uh, But yeah, you can see uh, Barry Bonds. He's in the ballot this year. That's why his name is highlighted in yellow. Uh, And so is Scott Rowland and Andrew Jones, Manny Ramirez, all those guys. Uh, And we'll get to them as soon as I'm done here. I am done. But yeah, Barry Bonds since 1980 has the highest war. And it's not even close. Not even close. Uh, He's just, it's Babe Ruthian at this point. Um... Melvin, I know how you feel about Barry Bonds, but go ahead and just reiterate for the folks who might have missed it in the first hour or so. Well, 
Um, well, first of all, I think I fell off the black hole. I'm, I'm still in the air. I'm good. Yes. We're good, man. I can see you. Uh, and I can hear you. Like, look, it, here's, here's the thing with these guys, like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. I mean, if you can, here's how I make peace with these two guys. Okay. Here's how I make peace. And I'm willing to just close my eyes and put them in based on the fact that, I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious. You can pinpoint when these guys started juicing, like the, <laughs> you can pretty much pinpoint when Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and, and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, you can pinpoint when they started juicing. Okay. And if you can find, I, w- I, I think if you can find seven straight seasons or eight out of nine hall of fame seasons, just put them in because you can at least make that case. You know, at least you can make that case. Uh, for example, Barry Bonds, you know, from 90, okay. Uh, you can pretty much infer that by 01, he was juicing. And by 2000, he may have been juicing as well. And that's been documented out there. From, from 90 to 99, this guy had nine, nine Hall of Fame seasons. So how you, at least you can make that argument, you know, and I get it, you know, that's very polarizing. And a lot of people be like, ah, screw them. They, may, they cheated, you know, they, this, that, and the other. But the fact is that you can make, they were not, uh, these guys were not Canseco. Canseco says he was always juicing. Well, these guys, you can tell, okay, right here, you can see the, you can see where it doesn't defy intelligence to tell us when these guys started juicing. If you can find seven straight seasons that are Hall of Fame material or eight out of nine seasons that were Hall of Fame material, I would say, and you can do that with Bonds, you can do that with Clement. I would say, you know what, just put them in and you can, you can have that little explanation there. That, that's what I would uh, really quick, uh, you could say that, or you could say that he went from low-level juicing to the high-level juicing. Balco is located in San Francisco. It always existed uh, in San Francisco. When he went to the Giants in '93, it was already up and running. Uh, it might not, it might not, may not have been a coincidence that he chose San Francisco, not just for family reasons, because that's where his dad played, that's where his godfather played. But you know, Balco is just around the corner, and when the first wave of juicing limited his potential he upgraded to the heavier stuff so i don't i don't buy that he was never on steroids i mean let's face it a lot of these guys there was always rumblings that these guys were on steroids and they're getting rewarded because of the lofty numbers that they put up and now they're going to get into the hall of fame and and it's really just and you mentioned canseco but the difference between canseco and bonds is that canseco never denied it and bonds denied it all the way to the end so it's like we're rewarding the guys who I mean, the reason Bonds was never, ever, ever indicted of anything or ever um, accused of anything in terms of concrete evidence was because his physical trainer never talked. Never talked. We need friends like Barry Bonds' physical trainer. Don't snitch, Mike Fires. No, I'm joking about Mike Fires. Whistleblowing, that's the better term for him. But don't snitch. Don't talk to the police. Don't talk to the Justice Department. Do your time. And if they keep badgering you about it, do more, do more time. That's basically what that guy did to save his friend from jail time. I mean, that's really the difference is that some guys are caught and other guys are not. And we're rewarding the guys who are not getting caught. That's my stand on it. Sean, uh, this, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but any thoughts on Barry Bonds uh, overall, I guess, at this point? It's so, like you said, it's so tough to delineate. I, I, I look at it as, you know, when did he stop running? I'm, but even then, when he stopped running, he was already 34 years old. And that's something that you do at that age is, I mean, I don't know many guys that 33, 34 that are still trying to steal 35 plus bags, unless you're Ricky Henderson. But 
it in his first 11 seasons he had 90 war and it's like if you want to try and rationale that maybe he wasn't you know full-fledged juice head and you know he put up a couple of 40 40 or close to 40 40 seasons but i think the denial and the kind of hell that rained down from what bonds was the essential poster boy of I, I don't think he gets in. I, I, I don't think he does. The stats are great, but the stats will be tainted. It, it, it's hard to see him actually be put in. And that's why I, when I was comparing a lot of these the guys on these lists, I, I didn't even include him just because it throws off the numbers just so drastically. Does he get into your Hall of Fame, though? Does he get your vote? Does he get into your virtual uh, imaginary Hall of Fame in your head, Sean? No. Uh, okay, so Melvin, he obviously makes yours then, right? Yes. At this year, I think... I think, yeah, I think. But in yours, in yours, not not the yes. baseball writers, but in yours. In yours, he's already in there. Okay. Yes. Okay, that's all I wanted to know. Want to know who uh, who who encourages this behavior and who doesn't. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. It's, uh, it's a very uh, apathetic indifference at this point. I, I'm a little bit passionate about it because, I, I mean, you already got Hall of Famers who juiced. Whether they got caught yeah. or not, they juiced. I mean, Craig yeah. Biggio's in the freaking Hall of Fame. That should tell you all you need to know about the Hall of Fame. And Jeff Bagwell's in the Hall of Fame. I, I, I forgot all about him. He's in the Hall of Fame. And some there was reports back in the days that they described his body as being like a, a of a Greek god, not or something to that similar. Hercules. Yeah, well, like kind of Euclid. There was the, there were there were all gods, right? Euclid, the Bagwellians. <laughs> Uh, they were all from Athens and Mount Olympus. Anyway, so let's <laughs> move down the list to Scott Rowland, who has never gotten accused of cheating in terms of the, the steroids or, or the PEDs. But, you know, that might have hurt him because now nobody cares that he makes it to the Hall of Fame because he's such an underwhelming candidate. Maybe had he juiced more and not get caught, maybe we would be talking about a, a, a slam dunk Hall of Famer. But look at that, 69.9 war. That's pretty damn high, especially for a guy like him who was always hurt, always injured. Uh, one of the few players, if you ever look at the Fangraphs uh, page, one of the few players who get positive rankings in the base running metric that they use for war, the offensive uh, metric, and the defensive metric, all three of them are positives compared to these other guys like Pudge, negative 24.9 base running. And he was one of the faster catchers, negative 24.9. Negative 11.2 for Rafael Palmero, negative 145 for the defensive uh, runs above replacement uh, uh, because he was a first baseman. First baseman, as you guys know, get heavily penalized. Still got a 70 war. But we'll probably never see the light of the Hall of Fame. But Barry Bonds, he'll get in eventually, right? For Rafael Palmero, <laughs> shame on you. I mean, they're all liars. I mean, we went through this this whole month, Sean. Cheaters There's and no liars. Hey, I'm getting to an Cheaters, age. Liars, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to an age that I admire Raphael's Viagra commercial. I'm just saying. Before <laughs> you admire Raphael, I'm telling you. Listen, I, I was always a big fan of Rafael Palmero. I'm just, I just don't understand why some. This is what I, this is what I'm getting at, and, and I know people, especially the Dong City guys, always get at me for not, uh, not taking the Astros thing too seriously. It's because nobody takes this too seriously either. Like some guys get severely punished, and other guys get a slap on the wrist and might get into the Hall of Fame, Barry Bonds. But Rafael Palmero, <laughs> who also posted some really gaudy numbers as well. Uh, is just kind of forgotten, or not forgotten, but he's been exiled. Surgery. <laughs> I mean, who cares? They all lied. They all lied, though. Yeah, Roger Clemens was up there lying. Danny Sosa. Can you prove? Can you prove? Can you prove a federal offense on any of your guys? You can prove Raphael. You can prove perjury right there. I mean, that guy stood in front of Congress and said, "Period." And then, like a year, <laughs> a week away from Raphael Palmero Day, you pop hot. Uh, 
It shouldn't matter though because all of those guys, I mean, they didn't say anything. I mean, Sammy Sosa, he's all pendejo, you know, to use a Spanish term. He's all pinche pendejo and then and just forgot to That's not perjury. That's not perjury. You know, still, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, I mean, yeah, he pleaded the fifth, but the fact that he didn't say anything or didn't do anything and then he gets, you know, uh, he's uh, suddenly he's now bleached his skin and whatever. And, and then but but he gets off but, slap on the wrist. But he's still in the ballot. I mean, that silence kept him in the ballot. Rafael Palmeiras perjury kicked him off the ballot. So, well, no, what, what got what got Rafael Palmeiras was that he got dinged. He, he actually tested negative on a, on a piss test, but that's still just because you know we could tell there's circumstantial evidence that these other guys were cheating. I mean, Sammy Sosa, my, my, my one of my best friends used to call him a Komodo dragon because his head was just so disfigured because of all the juicing that he would do. <laughs> So, I mean, you, you, you mean not everybody gets acne at 31? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's there's several reasons why you get acne at 31. But uh, you know what? You know what? This is this that what we're doing right now. We were talking about Scott Rowland, and this is exactly why Scott Rowland doesn't get any love because Scott Rowland to me is a Hall of Famer. The fact that right. he's in yeah. the Hall of Fame right now is is beyond me. Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer, but because of because because he is who he was, we started talking about somebody else because he wasn't in there. Nice guys finish last. You know, he wasn't. And, and we last. don't know. And we don't know. You know? We don't know if he'd use yeah. or not, but I mean, just just from like mentally speaking, he didn't have that PED arc like some of these other guys. No, he like, didn't. He didn't. He, he wasn't, and he wasn't guilty by accusation association either. But to me, Scott Rowland. He was he was in the Cardinals, which obviously Pujols was the best player there, and the most flashiest was was uh, was Jim Edmonds with his. So, but if you look at the body of work, Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer, and, and that's that's all there is to it. I can make a case, you know, but if it's yes or no, yes to Rowland is a yes to the Hall of Fame to me. And this is why I have a problem with all these other PD guys is because it, it does bury a Scott Rowland, who's a top fifteen player of this era, and people are talking about him like he's just small potatoes like he doesn't matter he does matter i mean you want all around good players this is it right here base running defense and batting he had he was a triple threat in all aspects of it and he gets forgotten because he he wasn't juicing enough maybe i don't know he did get hurt a lot he did get hurt a lot i'll give i'll concede that but uh i mean maybe he was on the peds he wouldn't be hurt as much and if he didn't get caught like craig beecher didn't get caught he'd be a slammed off hall of famer already and probably have a higher award so. I think the, the 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 reason he gets hurt a lot to not go in the Hall of Fame died last year with Larry Walker. That that ex- mm-hmm. that reason died already. Any legitimately there was to I don't know if it's the same about the Coors Field uh, uh, the Coors Field bias, but he gets hurt a lot. I think that Larry Walker put that to bed already. I don't think that's enough to to keep. That's an interesting point. If I mean, while they were on the field, they were Scott Rowland. Interesting. Very interesting point. But for Larry Walker, there was plenty of uh, uh, articles written in defense of Larry Walker that course field oh, yeah. didn't really matter. Well, that, uh, that was that was that was that was the only reason that that every time, you know, Ken Rosenthal, all these big guys, every time they were brought Larry Walker to the plate, they were like games played matter, games played matter. And that, you know, that is that that reason kept him away from the hall for for a lot of years. I think it was the sixth or seventh ballot he got in. I, I'm not I'm not sure. But yeah. Scott Rowland. If you compare him to his to his to his era, he was the third baseman right there. I mean, defensively, nothing got by him. I mean, if you want to go historical, he can lock horns with with Mike Smith and Brooks Robinson when you yep. talk about them. So, I mean, let's talk about the, his offensive numbers might not be enough by themselves, but a guy I can make a case that Scott Rowland is the third base defensive 
third baseman of all time. I can make that case. And it's a legit case, you know, behind yep. Robinson and, and Mike Smith. But if you, to me, defensively, he's number three all time. So if you compare him to a lock-in Hall of Famer that should have been Ron Santo, they, they compare, they match. Yep. You know? So Scott Rowland, to me, definite Hall of Famer. I mean, he never got the MVP votes and all that stuff because he was never like the best guy on his team. But Scott Rowland definitely shoo-in, should have been already a Hall of Famer. And before I get to you, Sean, uh, I sorted this by the defensive rubs, runs above replacement. Scott Rowland is top 10, regardless of position up there. Uh, Yadi Marlina, uh, Ozzy Smith, who's considered the best uh, defensive shortstop of all time. Pudge, Cal Ripken. I mean, these, this is who's who of defensive players here. Uh, Ozzy Guillen. I don't know how he got in there, but Ozzy Guillen. <laughs> and the only, the, only, the only third baseman there, obviously, Cal's, Cal's numbers are from shortstop, obviously. Clearly. Felipe, but, by, by pulling up the defensive war, you ruined what I was going to bring in. But it's okay. I forgive you. Go ahead. Do you want me to go back to war? Uh, no, it's yes, – I was ahead. simply going to say that Scott Rowland is Adrian Beltre with 3,500 less plate appearances. Very interesting. Adrian Beltre's at 84.1 war. Scott Rowland, for all intents and purposes, is 69.9. Nice. He's at 70. That's 14 wins over 3,500 plate appearances, which is roughly the equivalent of, what, six, seven seasons? If Scott Rowland didn't get as hurt as often as he did, especially towards the end of his career, we would be looking at him like he was closer to Adrian Beltre, who, to most people, is a surefire, probably first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, he might not be first ballot, but, I mean – the similarities between Roland and Beltre, I think, are very similar. And if one goes, I mean, obviously Beltre is going to go. So if Beltre goes, then Roland should as well. And I agree with Melvin. Yep. Scott Roland is a Hall of Fame player. And now that, Beltre. that gets overlooked because his name didn't come up in all the drama of the and steroid a- era. And Adrian Beltre, there was some rumblings that he was using too. Yep. Um, 100. That, yep. Uh, yep. Again, we're rewarding some guys and punishing others. I mean, look, I think, all, all can, I ask you on and Beltre's career, yeah. You can look at Beltre's career and say, "What happened here?" and "What happened yeah. here?" But and, and, I mean, his hat size alone, his hat size alone, <laughs> it, it was yeah. bigger than anybody else's. Is he that why he didn't good. like people touching it? Did he have like his steroid injections like in his head? Andrus was always Andrus was a whistleblower. Elvis Andrus was a whistleblower, guys. I think of the he was he was trying to show the world the secrets. I love Agent Beltrick, but come on. All I ask, Sean and, and Melvin, is some consistency. Let, let, let's let's punish these guys across the board or not. I don't care. Just make a decision and let's move on. I mean, again, Rafael Primero not being in the Hall of Fame is a crime. I mean, he has the gaudy numbers. Scott Rowland, uh, the advanced stats show that he also had gaudy numbers. We move on to Andrew Jones, another defensive wizard. We just put him up there on the defensive runs about replacement. He clearly is above and beyond better than anybody else uh, in, in the outfield in terms of uh, defensive runs about replacement at, uh, what was it, 278? Jesus Christ. That's yeah, a lot of, uh, of uh, flyouts uh, to Andrew Jones. Uh, I mean, the guy had range when he was firing on all cylinders. I mean, he got brought up as a teenager. I mean, such a great story. 434 home runs with no, nothing to sneeze at either. Hachu. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> here, here it is. Uh, compared to other guys like Manny Ramirez and uh, Carlos Beltran, he didn't get to 10,000 plate appearances. So that means that he didn't stay healthy. He, uh, as you guys mentioned before, either uh, before <clears throat> we started or during the podcast, he got fat. Um, and, oh, well, hey, there, there you go. Now we know he wasn't juicy because he got fat. 
we're going to punish him for being clean. So go ahead, Melvin. What do you think about Andrew? Oh, well, you already talked about Andrew Jones, didn't you? You like him in the Hall of Fame? I do. I do. Andrew Jones is a yes to me. Is yep. that simple? I can make the case that Andrew Jones is the best defensive center fielder ever. I can, you can make that case. It's, it's that simple. It's either him or Willie Mays, one of the two. The conversation doesn't exit one of these two guys. Okay, but when you have the offensive again, the offensive numbers on their own may have not been enough on their own. But when you throw the fact that he is the best center fielder ever, then this guy is not like this guy was a scrub. Those def- offensive numbers shouldn't have held him back. Held him back. So for ten straight years, I would say from ninety from ninety eight to 06, Andrew Jones was the best center fielder in the game, uh, and and possibly of all time when you look at the right stats. And in this case, the right stats are the ones that help my argument. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's, that's just how it is. Andrew Jones, to me, yes, absolutely. And, uh, Sean, do you agree with Melvin's assessment there? Uh, I, I do. I think he is, like you said, like Melvin said, he could make the argument he's the best defensive center fielder of all time. But to me, Andrew Jones, he's a borderline Hall of Famer. We'll see where he lands when they start, you know, when the votes start to come in. But to me, he is always going to be one of the greatest what ifs in baseball history. And it's just his career arc was so unlike any other in that it was this meteoric rise. And then just a couple of years before becoming a free agent, hits a combined 92 home runs over two years. And you just thought that there's, you know, there's no stopping this guy. And then he goes to the Dodgers and he got fat. I mean, it was one of those. I don't know what happened. I'm not sure if he had other stuff going on in his life or if he just got the money and said, you know what? I'm set for life now. I don't, I don't have to bust my ass, but it was one of those looking at his fan graphs page. Now I look at it and Andrew Jones would be absolutely slaughtered in the modern baseball era. (laughs) He had a, let me pull it up. I just had it here. He had a 53% pull percentage in a ground ball percentage over 40% for his career. This is a guy that would have grounded into the shift all the time. You know, like how Albert Pujols now is like, they just might as well put all four guys on the left side of the infield. (laughs) That's what would have happened to Andrew Jones. And it's one of those, like I said, it's, it's a very interesting. What if, you know, what if he debuted a little later? Would he still be good? Would, what if he stayed in shape? especially going to Yankee stadium. Like if he had just stayed in shape and got to Yankee stadium and hit 30 home runs four years in a row, this is a guy that's, you know, 500, 550 home runs. If he does that, it's just the greatest. What if in baseball history, I think. As you'll notice that 337 on base percentage uh, among all of these guys after, uh, after the top, after the top twenties listed, uh, all these other guys have higher on base percentage, including uh, I just saw it somewhere. I thought I saw Ozzy Smith right there. Ozzy Smith at 345. When you have a lower on-base percentage than, uh, than Ozzy Smith, that's a problem, I think. But regardless, we move on to the next player, Manny Ramirez, who's the complete opposite of uh, of Andrew Jones. He did not get fat. I mean, he I guess he got kind of fat. But, you know, after all that, I mean, he, he, he took advantage of the PED use and racked up the numbers. Not the defensive wizard that Andrew Jones was, but it's fine. Uh, he got what he got. He, he took what he needed to take from the game. And... Uh, that's the result. Melvin, Manny Ramirez in your Hall of Fame, yes or no? Well, let, 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 let's see. Okay, again, I'm going to go by the seven straight years and the eight out of nine. 
Now, do we know? I mean, we know Manny got caught, okay? So that that in itself right there from a moral standpoint, now you can see how I'm very gray in this area. But you know what? If I'm willing to look the other way on bonds, then you know what? Those those offensive numbers are there. Now, the defensive metrics were, were pretty bad for Manny, you know? And the base running was pretty bad for Manny. So yep. Manny Ramirez was an offensive player. So if you just want to take his offense into account, it's there. But I am not gonna. I I, I would not give him a vote. But mm. you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised because you you just never know. So to me, Manny Ramirez, I, I know it's gonna sound a little little weird because I know it's gonna sound. You're gonna like, wait wait a minute. What about him? But or Manny, I would say based on the fact that he got thrown out of the game for doing it because the hard evidence is there, just like with Palmero, I would say no. <laughs> Uh, don't forget, Manny Ramirez ended up uh, coaching up Javier Baez, so that alone should put him in the Hall yeah. of Fame. That's very true, yeah. <laughs> John, uh, any last remarks on Manny Ramirez before we move on to uh, Gary Sheffield here? Absolutely fantastic hitter. Outside of Bonds, I think he's the best hitter on the ballot. But if we're going to put Manny Ramirez in to bring a little bit of a modern-day news that we haven't touched on yet, if we're putting Manny Ramirez in a guy who retired to avoid a second PED suspension um, – then we have to seriously consider Robinson Cano, who was just suspended for the second time. Uh, will Robinson Cano pull a Manny and retire and just avoid the second suspension altogether? I don't know. Probably not because he has $48 million guaranteed yeah, by not retiring. But if, if we give Manny the light of day to enter the Hall of Fame, then I don't want to hear any of these people that are you know screaming up in arms about Robinson Cano right now because guess what? They both got popped twice. They were probably doing it for longer. And obviously Manny was a better hitter than Robinson, but Robinson Cano is also a multi-time gold glover. So uh, if Manny goes in, then Robinson Cano has to seriously be considered as well. Nah, it just goes back, man. Some forms of cheating is more acceptable than others. I went ahead and re-ranked this by WRC+. Plus. Manny Ramirez is number four on the list yep. behind Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Frank Thomas. So, yeah, you're definitely correct in that regard. Uh, and Joey Votto rounds out the top five there in WRC+. Plus. Uh, and there you see Gary Sheffield, number 14. But let's go back to the war because that's uh, just for consistency's sake. And uh, look at boom, right there. So, Gary Sheffield, and be sandwiched between Kenny Lofton and Alan Trammell, who did make the Hall of Fame. Kenny Lofton, what the hell happened? He's no longer in the ballot, I, I, I guess, right? He, he didn't get enough votes the one time that he was in the ballot? Is that what happened? Uh, I believe so. Well, there it is. Yeah, he, only, uh, he only made one ballot. Oh, geez, that's, that's a crime against humanity. But anyway, we're not talking about Kenny Lofton. We're talking about Gary Sheffield, uh, always a very dangerous hitter. Um, look at 2,000, almost 2,700 hits for his career, over 500 home runs, uh, 253 stolen bases, which I would have never have guessed that. Uh, really high on base percentage. Just, I don't know. What do you think, Melvin? Is he in your Hall of Fame? Yes or no? Really quick. Uh, don't think I can look the other way. And again, another guy that actually got caught, didn't he? Did he, didn't, didn't he get didn't he get popped towards the end of his career? Let's face it, he was using. Sheffield, was yes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, and, and okay, then, then let me give you another argument for Bonds versus Sheffield. If you're going to be using, then you better put some video game numbers to prove that you actually have talent, that the steroids, if the steroids didn't put you over. I know that's the line of gray right there, but I mean, what are his, his, his numbers are like barely over 500 home runs? And that's a lot of home runs. Come on. I mean, that's a lot of home runs, yeah. But how many? Five oh nine for a guy that was juicing. If you're gonna be juicing, you might as well give me six, six oh nine like Sammy or you know. I mean, I mean I just, 
he's I'm, 12th I, ranked here. I mean, that's pretty damn high. This is about a list of 178 players. He's among the top 25% in home runs. That I mean, just because he didn't get the other, I mean, maybe he was using the wrong cocktail of of PED use. I don't know, but I mean, yeah. he put up numbers. I mean, he's he tough. did. He should have. I mean, look at the look at the on base on base of all. I mean. I mean, I've never been good on the number of home runs, number of RBIs. Look at on base. Look at the slash line. And the slash line is pretty serious. I mean, that's. I mean, the, his slash line is pretty serious with the, with the on base percentage, with the OPS. I mean, that that those are pretty some pretty darn good numbers there. You, you're knocking on the door 400 uh, on base percentage. So if we're gonna talk about those numbers, yeah. But then again, you put those numbers in the context, and you he did get caught. So I would have to pass on him on that. Wow. Like again, it's like it's just ridiculous. Like one form of cheating is good, and other forms of cheating is bad. I just it's understand. not about okay. Then yeah. It's about putting the numbers in context. I would say. I would say putting the numbers put in context. He's seventy-five percentile better than anybody on this list who got to seven thousand plate appearances. So, I mean, but but then again, but then again, that's this is when you go okay. Then then you throw this. It's like having a bunch of cards in the spades game. Okay, well let me throw this spade out there. Okay, so he was juicing, so he should have been way above like if you're gonna juice you might as well juice right and do like bonds you know you might as well not as, you know, I mean, no, everybody... no more half measures to quote breaking bad yeah. i mean everybody <laughs> listen i mean i work in the medical field everybody's body reacts differently to the drugs i mean that's why barry bonds went out of his way to go to san francisco and deal with the balco guys to exclusively create cosmetic uh unique drugs just for barry all right I don't know what Gary Sheffield's deal was. I mean, I'm pretty sure he had his own, but I mean, Balco was the place to be. Balco was uh, constantly putting out the best uh, uh, track and field runners in the world, constantly winning gold medals because of their association with Balco. So you go to a high-class organization like Balco, Barry Bonds did, and this is a result. You get these monster numbers. I mean, this is how serious it was with Barry Bonds. So in that case, in that case, then 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 it's a little all or none. If you have a blemish, you're out. Then then you know you, you, that's that that that's got to be on the tail of the fight. This is the rules of the. This is the rule of the tail of the fight. If there's a suspicion or if there's a come on, because this is in the court of law. A lot of us fans get caught in the whole. Oh, you can't prove it. No, come on. I mean, I don't need I don't need I don't need a court of law. I don't need Perry Mason to tell me that that, that <laughs> Sosa and McGuire were juicing, but. You know, then, then in that case, if you want to get that deeper into the argument, then you have to create one standard, either all in or all out. So, all right, so then, that, that means Sammy Sosa's not getting in. With your argument, Sammy Sosa's not getting in because he only got to 40 war. Well, my argument, with well, my argument, my argument, I can't He's tell. You know why? You know why? Because Sammy Sosa is different than these steroid guys. So these steroid guys, let's say Bonds, for instance, or Clemens or whatever, you, you, can, you can make the case that they, they, started juicing towards the end when there was a fallout in their career. This dude was in the middle of his prime. So why did he have to juice? I don't know. Maybe that's the 12 year old little kid in me wanting to punish him, but no, I say no to Sosa as well. I mean, Sheffield Sheffield tattled on himself. I mean, he admitted to using the cream from Balco. And I, I think that's another thing is when it comes from, you know, the horse's mouth, it's like you question everything else. Yeah. Maguire as well, but yeah. If you brought Sosa up, I mean, come on, you're disrespecting me at this point. I would, you know what? Did they send me, me, hey, I did it. I did it. I'm going back to Ridley because I did it. I'd probably vote for him that day. And this is probably the 11 year old kid and me talking. 
But I, I misspoke. Uh, uh, he didn't get to 40. He actually got to 60. So the, the steroids worked for him as well, uh, whether he did it uh, in his prime or not. But, I mean, it definitely did help. Uh, uh, speaking of – did. Yeah, he, went, I, he I, went from Sammy Soso to wow, you know. Sammy Sofa was the term that they used on him back in spring training in 98, Sammy Sofa. Uh, And it's not a coincidence that Sammy Sosa and Bobby Obreu are next to each other. They kind of look alike. So it's pretty uh, serendipitous that they are neck and neck in the war race. Uh, Sean, since we heard from uh, Melvin first, let's say, let's start with you this time on the prospects of Sammy Sosa and Bobby Obreu, the doppelgangers here of making it to the Hall of Fame. Bobby Bray Abreu, as we know, I we've talked several times on this podcast about how much I believe he is a Hall of Fame player. Um, I just want to share this. This is from Tango Tiger on Twitter, uh, at Tango Tiger. Uh, Bobby Abreu scored 1,453 runs. Uh, player X in this situation scored 1,450. Abreu, 1,363 RBIs. Player X had 1,312. Abreu hit 288 home runs. Player X had 292. Abreu stole 400 bases, which I think is something everybody forgets. He was a great base runner early in his career. Player X stole only 308. Abreu and Player X were all were predominantly right field. Player X in this situation is the career averages of Dave Winfield, Vladimir Guerrero, Tony Gwynn, and Ichiro. Wow. Four Hall of Famers. Why is wow. Bobby Abreu struggling to even get on, stay on this ballot? It makes no sense. And is it, yeah, it's one of those things where you, you kind of look at his WRC plus and it was very, very good. It, it's just one of those. Does he only had a 475 slugging in a day and age where if you weren't slugging 500, you weren't known as a power hitter? But this is a guy, 288 home runs, hit a lot of doubles, walked a lot. He's a great hitter. Uh, he's right at that 60 war threshold, which I consider to kind of be that that barrier to the Hall of Fame. I don't know how you can put the other guys in, like Tony Gwynn, Ichiro. And I think it's because they're more iconic players. Bobby Abreu is not an iconic player. Vladimir Guerrero, the way he hit. Ichiro, the way he ran and fielded and really just brought a whole new style of hitting, or at least brought it back. Uh, Bobby Abreu was just a professional hitter. He was like Nick Markakis on steroids. <laughs> <Didn't sh> but <laughs> it's like he gets no love. 400 stolen bases. Like that's the most of anybody on the ballot not named Omar Vizquel, who doesn't really count because he has a sub 100 way to run creative plus. But it's like, how is Bobby Abreu not getting the love that he so badly deserves? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, we talked about Sosa. I think we all know who Sammy Sosa is at this point. What about Bobby Abreu, Mel Melvin? Uh, last words on Bobby Abreu coming from you. Uh, now. Bobby Abreu, I, I agree with. Uh, I agree with Sean. I, Bobby Abreu is, uh, and the, the reason why he might be suffering from the same same case as Scott Rowland. He was never the flashiest dude. He was never yeah. the, but he's the guy that showed up and performed mm -hmm. every single day. Now, kind of make can. And again, if I be rough, I mean, look at his look at his overall numbers between him and Eddie Mary. I mean, they had the same. But then again, you know, not every Hall of Fame is is is, is built the same way. So maybe if Bobby Abreu was having his prime right now instead of twenty years ago, then people would be looking at him in a different light. He's just when you look at his peers, you know, who were who were his peers? You know, all these flashy dudes and everything. And you know, he does fall short of the of the of the of the sixty war that a lot of us like to see for the hall of fame but i don't know i think bobby abreu has the case 
He should. I, I think so too. I mean, he, he's right yeah. there. I mean, he's at fifty nine point eight. And one of the replies that I loved that I saw on Twitter from Tango Tiger's tweet was, and this is a guy who I never really thought of because he was way before my time. Was if we can get Bobby Abreu in the front door, maybe we can get Dwight Evans in the back door. And I went and looked. I looked at Dwight Evans' career. Holy hell, he has a higher WAR than all three of those guys: Abreu, Suzuki, and Guerrero. Like, why is he? What? What? What, what were the Evans, in the eighty yeah. thinking? Like, what? What? I, I, I don't. I don't even know. I. I Dwight, have no. Dwight, how Dwight Evans? How Dwight Evans is not in the Hall of Fame is beyond me. Which I'm them. always for identical players being identical to each other. Uh, Dwight Evans and Bobby Abreu both posted 129 weighted runs created plus. You know what it is. Dwight Evans didn't cheat enough. That's <laughs> uh, by the way, Eddie Murray did play uh, three seasons before 1980. This chart is from beginning 1980 to 2020. So that's why Eddie is a little bit low. But, and he also played first base. So, But regardless, he's in the Hall of Fame, and you can't take that away from him, despite the fact that nobody really liked him. So let's – we still got pitchers to talk about, you guys. So lightning, no. lightning round style, yes or no answers. Jeff Ken, yes or no, into the Hall of Fame. Yes, because Robinson Cano just got his – Chances are kaput. Jeff Kent gets elevated, I think, because of that. It doesn't make sense, but it probably will. Melvin? I think he will make it eventually, but he doesn't make mine. Todd Helton, yes or no, uh, Melvin? Yes. Sean? Yes as well. He's Larry Walker 2.0. Wow. And who are we missing? Oh, guys, there's the other guy, Story Hunter. We just talked about Omar Vizquel. Yes or no, Melvin? Yes. Sean? No. And then we talked about Ramirez Ramirez, and I think we're done. Uh, I, we're we're running really long. It's a very passionate discussion here, uh, and that brings us to the pitchers now. Uh, Roger Clemens at the very top of the list of the WAR um, of the WAR list here, uh, very high. I think we Melvin might have alluded to that you would put him in already, right? Yes. And Sean, yes or no? No, he's the bonds of pitching. I, I just I can't touch it. Kurt Schilling, yes or no, uh, Sean? Yes. Uh, I don't know how you cannot put him in when you have John Smoltz and Tom Glavin, who not only had uh, – he had a lower ERA than Glavin, slightly higher than Smoltz, uh, lower FIP and XFIP, higher strikeouts, less walks, higher war, um, less wins than the other guys. I, I don't know how you can put the other two in the Hall of Fame and not him. Obviously, he has his own off-the-field issues, but as a player and as his time on the field – uh, he's a surefire Hall of Famer. And uh, Melvin, you, Kurt Schilling? Schilling, yes, absolutely. I agree with Sean. Andy Pettit, yes or no, Melvin? Andy Pettit? Mm, ERA is a little too high, so no. Sean? No. Oh, wow. Uh, Mark Burley, we talked about Tim Hudson. We talked about A.J. Burnett and Barry Zito. And that's it. That is our big chart. Uh, sorry we couldn't get too in-depth with the pitchers, but uh, – I didn't realize how long we were coming on here. So let's, let's wrap this up by uh, we had the, uh, the picture, right. Of the ballots, if I could find it, which is right over here and let's finish strong here. Let's um, if you guys have any, uh, let's start with you, Melvin, pick the maximum of 10 players that you would vote for from this 2021 ballot here. All right. I got Abreu, Bonds, Clemens, Helton, Jones, uh, I got Roland and Vizquel, and that's it. I got, I think that's eight. Wow. All right. So you got to eight. You couldn't get to the 10. All right. What about you, Sean? Did you get 10 or did you get uh, 
eight as like Melvin did. I have I have Bobby Abreu, Todd Helton, Jeff Kent, Scott Rowland, Billy Wagner, and Kurt Schilling. Interesting. So I believe that's six. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm making sure. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So I got ten as well. I can count. I can count. <laughs> Here are my four guys who I don't think were using uh, PEDs. Uh, the hitters, first of all, Scott Rowland, Andrew Jones, Bobby Abreu, Todd Helton. I, they get my vote for the pitchers. I'm gonna throw a curveball at you guys uh, because I never, considering the era that, that that they played in, which half of it was the PED era, and because they were able to withstand their own. And last a very long time in this league, I will will vote for Mark Burley and Tim Hudson. So that's six. And now, who do I consider from the guys who I know for sure were using PEDs? And because I am, you know what, Melvin, I'm giving myself this uh, free pass to myself. I'm going to vote Sammy Sosa in because I want to be a homer like everybody else. I want to be a dumbass <laughs> homer just like every other cup fan out here. I'll, I'm turning around Sammy Sosa. He was my favorite player when I was growing up. And then he, he, I, I got sour on him because he got Steve Stone fired. But I'm kind of age is a, is, is a factor. Uh, time is a factor, right? Time forgives everything. So I'm getting to that point. I'm going to put Sammy Sosa into my Hall of Fame. Jeff Kent. Well, I'll, I'll tell you why I'm putting Jeff Kent. I, I kept this out of order. Billy Wagner for sure. Omar Vizquel because of his defensive prowess. And I'm putting Jeff Kent in just to piss off Barry Bonds because screw that guy. So <laughs> even though I think Jeff Kent was using two, but if to see Jeff Kent make it get a vote before Barry Bonds, it's just some like poetic justice. Remember, they, they had that little scuffle in the That's dugout right. that Dusty yep. Baker had to have put him apart. And Jeff Kent was basically the only protection for a very long time that, that Barry Bonds had with the Giants. So, and among second baseman, he's, he's right there on the doorstep of being among the top 10 uh, since the integration era of 1947. Uh, so yeah, those are my 10 right there. Uh, you guys do me a favor. Can you write them down and send them to me and I can put them in a spreadsheet just so we can keep track. Uh, and if anybody wants to be a part of it, let me know, please. And uh, I will put your votes in um, and just send it to me. Uh, either privately i think there were some comments but we have a lot of comments in the uh in the uh, live feed right now that i can't i can't tell who voted for what or when so if you guys want to be in this stretch this giant spreadsheet of ours let me know and i'll put your uh ballot uh your your hall of fame picks in there as well i'd also like to make a slight edit i forgot andrew jones um he doesn't have the longevity of most hall of famers but his his rise and his peak were just so elite level that I'm going to put him in there for the combination of all around player. He, he's, he, he would be my seventh. And, and to really point out uh, Austin, uh, I think he put it best. And this was the point of it, right. To make a case for all these guys, Austin says, this conversation has changed my vote a little. And that's, you know what? I think we did our jobs guys. I think we did our jobs today. So uh, great. (laughs) Uh, I, I know Sean wanted to get to other stuff, but we're running yeah. super over. We, we, we didn't get to Billy Wagner, but at least I got to put him on my ballot. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I didn't put, I didn't do a, a separate relief pitch. Because, I mean, it's either Billy Wagner or LaTroy Hawkins. I'm not voting for LaTroy Hawkins. <laughs> I don't even I want to spend time on LaTroy Hawkins. Please, let's not even, he who shall not be mentioned from now on. I can't wait to see <laughs> Kyle Farnsworth on the ballot, right? <laughs> hey, Ryan, hey, Ryan, hey, hey, Ryan Tapera got an MVP vote. <laughs> it was supposed to be Trey Turner. <laughs> It was Moody. Uh, no, Ryan Tapera, twenty twenty one, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. So, with all that being said, uh, Melvin, last words from you. Uh, as I want to thank you one more time before I forget, I want to thank you for joining us today and 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 doing the long the long version of this uh, podcast episode with us. Any last words, Melvin? 
Hey, thank you so much for having me again. I, I, I this is going to be a good conversation for years to come. Thank you so much for you know. Uh, now my wife's going to have uh, is going to hear me talk baseball all day. But the only difference is that you guys actually care about what I'm saying, and she does not. <laughs> hey, baseball! Uh, thank you so much, guys. Thank you, thank you so much for having me here. Hey, it's basically baseball from all around, all around. I, I always butcher. All I'm year so round, sorry. from all, all year, year round, round, all around. <laughs> and uh, go check out his page, uh, Baseball Cosmos. Uh, I'm, I don't want to butcher it anymore, but yeah, Baseball Cosmos, you'll see him uh, in Baseball Life. So yeah, if you haven't joined, if you're listening to audio only, join the Facebook group, Baseball Life, and you can catch us live every Sunday mornings there. Uh, and then be sure to follow and like Melvin's page, Baseball Cosmos, uh, baseball all around, all year round. I, I, I am so sorry. I, it's, it's, <laughs> all year round from all around. That's okay. <laughs> and he's updating us with winter league stuff. I saw Wander Franco. He put a clip of Wander Franco, and that got me excited oh, yeah. for next season. He, he's, 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 he's really getting it down there. You got Wander oh, yeah. You got Domingo Herman trying to make a comeback down there. A lot of, a lot of good players uh, making, making their mark in the winter league, guys. And I don't know if you know this, but I, I, Sean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Sean uh, used to see Wander Franco up close and personal every day, right? No, I did not. He was still in high A Charlotte. And of course, now with them missing a whole minor league season, uh, he's probably just going to skip double A in, in its entirety. Uh, now that I'm not even in Montgomery, I, at least I was hoping I could travel to Birmingham and see him when Montgomery played Birmingham. But I, I have a feeling he's not going to even play in double A. So I will miss him. But there are several guys that are playing in the Winter League that I know I'm really excited to follow. Uh, both Nate, I think Josh Loeb joined his brother. Uh, both the Loeb brothers are now on one of the early teams. Yeah, I think Josh Lowe joined him as well. Um, yeah, the, uh, they're in Leones. Yes, and both guys. One of the legendary Dominican. They're like the, the Yankees of Dominican winter ball, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and, and Nate Lowe might as well be Babe Ruth because he is a phenomenal hitter. <laughs> and in kind of modern news, uh, Hunter Renfro got DFA. Josh Lowe got added to the roster. Uh, Josh Lowe is a guy that I could see becoming the starting center fielder if they dump Kevin Kiermeyer's contract. We talked about him too, Sean. That was my my first prospect when we did the prospects list. Yes, sir. Oh, I'm very proud of myself. I'm a soothsayer now. I'm a baseball soothsayer. Uh, Sean, <laughs> any last words from you, buddy? This was such a fun show. Like I, I was filled with such energy for baseball, and like I said, caffeine. Uh, so <laughs> this was easy for me. Like an hour. Like Felipe even t- t- typed a message to me, and he said this went by so mu- so fast because we were having so much fun, and it was so true. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Melvin, for joining us. And be sure to, like Felipe said, be sure to check out his page and keep up with all the Winter, winter League stuff that you normally wouldn't see uh, on sports. So Yeah, I mean, I mean, unless you have ESPN Deportes or something like that. But it, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, not, it's, it's not very well covered here in the States. It's not something that uh, makes, especially now, it's a dead, dead period in sports, in American sports, uh, unless, you know, football. But footballs are on, on the weekend only. But I, I think that they, that should be something that uh, they need to bring to the limelight right now, especially with COVID. And uh, there's no basketball. There's no hockey. There's no baseball, obviously. So, yeah, we're just waiting on the weekends for football. And, you know, what, what do we do Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday, I should say. So uh, last words for me, uh, be sure to catch, I believe, uh, Henry, I don't know if you're here or not, but I believe Dong City is on tomorrow. I know they're going every other week, which is still kind of surprising. I thought those guys were going to go week after week after week because they're the hardest working podcast in, in our life group podcast uh, network here. But um, yeah, I believe they're on Monday night uh, before Monday night football, uh, the audible, they go two for uh, 
there's the review show on Tuesday night and the preview show on Friday morning or Friday at mid-afternoon. Uh, the Step Back podcast, uh, I was on that last Wednesday. Melvin uh, mentioned it before the podcast started about the Bulls drafting the Williams kid from Florida State. I forgot his first name already. Patrick. Patrick Williams, right? Okay, he doesn't like it. He wanted the he wanted the Israeli kid like everybody else. I don't know why we're in love with these slow-footed. Anyway, that's another conversation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Step Back, I believe uh, they're going to be – they were going to go every other week, but – I don't know why, because the NBA offseason is just as important and just as fun as the actual NBA season. It is crazy right now, the, the number of player movement. Please catch Leon and Jacob, break it down. They are doing a fantastic job in Ball is Life, uh, telling, us, uh, telling us about the comings and goings of all the player movement. I can't keep up, Melvin and Sean. I just can't keep up. And there's a thread there, a super thread. Uh, it's already nearing 300 comments of just all the players that are moving in and out. What's up, Melvin? It's like, it's like everybody's going to the like every morning I wake up. The Lakers did did the Lakers. They they're really pushing hard for that for that back to back. But um, I mean, that's the way you do it, man. They're looking pretty. They're, look, they're looking pretty good, but you know. Yeah. People forget when Jerry Cross ran the the Bulls. That's the way he did it. Uh, it Get out the guys who are not going to produce next year. Bring in some new guys because this window is closing really fast. And we were fortunate enough to see six championships uh, back in the '90s, and that's the way you do it. So and we can anyway, watch. And uh, we can watch the last dance too all the time. Yeah. Or you can watch the last dance again all over again, and and and, and just catch all the uh, drink. Take a shot every time Michael Jordan lies. You will be drunk before <laughs> 15 minutes. And I took that personal. Uh, and I think that's it. That's all the podcast. Oh, uh, our podcast, right, Sean? Every Sunday morning we start your life through podcast. Sunday morning we start over again. We are number one on the starting rotation depth chart. Uh, 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern, here on the best baseball group ever, Baseball Life on Facebook. Catch us there, and then make sure you catch us on YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and all the other podcast formats out there, including Anchor. All right, and for Sean, for Melvin, I am Felipe. We'll see you next week. Have a good one.